Welcome to the fifth episode of Thought Space, the podcast from the Center for Policy Research. CPR is an Indian think tank researching on various issues from urbanization to foreign policy, from economic reforms to environmental challenges. Today, Richard Bansal from the communications team will be in conversation with Dr. Rajiv Kumar, a well-known economist and senior fellow at CPR on the recent demonetization in India and unpack it in greater depth. Hi, I'm Richa. On the night of November 8, Prime Minister Narendra Modi announced the withdrawal of 500,000 rupee notes from the market with immediate effect with the aim of curbing black money, which amounts to almost 20% of India's GDP, leading to a huge parallel economy. While this move at demonetization was hailed with great enthusiasm when announced, the euphoria soon gave way to frustration, anger and resentment as the inconvenience faced by people continued to mount with banks and ATMs running out of the new 500 rupee and 2000 rupee notes as promised, clearly due to poor implementation. Today, we will be in conversation with well-known economist and senior fellow at CPR, Dr. Rajiv Kumar, to deconstruct this more deeply beyond the binaries. Sir, let me begin by asking you, what is black money and how does it impact democracy, governance and institutions? Thanks, Richa. And hi, everyone. Black money essentially is that money in the economy which which is unaccounted for either in the tax system or in the national accounts. This is is money where the people who have earned it have not paid the income tax, either the personal income tax or the corporate income tax, or have produced commodities and manufactured goods, etc., without having paid the due excise duty on that production. The one implication, direct implication of this is that all agriculture output and incomes are outside the purview of black money. Nothing that is done in agriculture is or can be accounted for as black income or black money. And that should be very clear because that there are some uh, there are some stories or there are some leaders, political leaders, who are talking about farmers suffering under the present scheme, and that's just simply untrue because they are not touched by this particular black, black money concept. Um, the volume of black money in circulation has been estimated from time to time, and the latest that we've had is a study from the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy which estimated it to be between 20 and 40% of the GDP. So that if your current GDP is around $2 trillion, the least estimate of this is about uh, 20% is about $400 billion. Or it could be up to $800 or $900 you know, billion. So if you look at it in terms of you know, rupees crore, you're talking about something like 13 to 20 lakh crore of money is circulating in the economy for which there is no accountability, for which there is, you know, we don't know how it is earned and where it is earned. The great question about how does it impact, I'm glad you asked about this impact on democracy and not on the economy because that's the most important. It impacts democracy in several very negative ways. And for me, the most important is that it destroys the moral fiber of the economy because those who have earned this black money by all sorts of nefarious means have not played their dues to the to the country are the ones who strut around in their in their luxury consumption and in their splurges of you know uh, unnecessary consumptions and showmanship and and the, those who have actually earned their money through hard work and honest 
you know, labor are the ones who are in some sense at a great discount. The impact of that is that the demonstration effect in the society is such that the only criteria for measuring your status in the society is through this sort of, you know, material wealth, howsoever gotten, and therefore it impels everybody else to try and do, to try and emulate the same people uh, who are, who are, who should otherwise be behind bars, but who are actually not just roaming around free, but are in positions of power, are in positions of great influence, and who in some sense run the, run the country for us. You know, so that's the first big impact, the moral, you know, which destroys the social fiber of the economy. The economic impact is that to earn or generate black money, you need a nexus of people, uh, you know, who, are, who, who, who work together to generate it. The income tax authorities, the politician, the bureaucrat, and the businessman, both the trader and the manufacturer. Now, all of these get into a corrupt nexus, which cuts at the, at the, very, at the very roots of our democracy. And finally, uh, on our security is that these high currency notes, which were not high technology notes, were easily counterfeited by the enemies of India and supplied to the terrorists and fundamentalist organizations. And I have, if you go to Nepal, you will find that they do not permit the use of rupees 500, Indian 500 notes, while all other Indian currency is, you know, is legal currency in Nepal, simply because Nepal is flooded by 500 rupee, counterfeit 500 rupee notes produced by Pakistan in supply. And the great, for me, actually the most telling example of that is that ever since demonetization happened, <coughs> the stone throwing <coughs> and other activities in Kashmir have stopped. Because there's nobody to pay out the rupee 500 to each stone player, stone thrower that they have done in the past before. So those are the ways it impacts democracy, governance and institutions. Thanks for that, sir. Uh, could you now elaborate more on the benefits of this move for our audience? <coughs> you know, the, 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 the biggest gain, as we have said, is that it encourages honesty. It encourages tax compliance. It encourages people to do their bit for the public exchequer and, and therefore help in the public administration and the good uh, fiscal administration of the country. For example, in our country, the expenditure on health, 66% or more comes from private pockets. In all civilized countries, this is, this is, this is below 10% because everybody goes to publicly funded hospitals and dispensaries. We can't do that simply because our government is trapped for cash, for revenues. So if we were, you know, if everybody was paying their due tax, this would, you know, this would not be the case. So the, 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 the attack against black money brings about greater equity in the system so that you don't get a capitalist system which works only for the rich and where the inequities are rising such that 10 percent of the of the society you know gathers or garners uh, 90 percent of the income generated and those inequities are horrible because no society can run like that so that's the first big impact the second big impact on on, on for the black economy is it also prevents uh, the production of spurious and, and, and illegal products and goods in the society because that's always produced under the cash economy. And, and once you produce that, and this is why it's so difficult in our country to take measures against spurious drugs you know, and spurious liquor, for example, and all sorts of other things. And, and that just means that that also works against the you know, common wheel. So that's the second thing. The third, as we mentioned already, is the, uh, is, the, is the secession or the end of counterfeit money, which then affects 
are terrorists and extremist organizations. That's the third. And finally, let me say that the black economy, the attack on the black economy is that you get a better estimate of how the monies are being allocated in the country rather than in the moment sitting completely blind, you know, because what, what appears in the national statistics for a gross you know, domestic product or our national income is but a very small part of the total. So we don't know where the else is going on. So that's, those are the, and, 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 and let me just one other, which is, and especially the example of real estate, where it's, which is just completely rife and rampant with cash economy and black economy. There are two things here. One, that that real estate sector is used for money laundering by those who are earning this black income and then buy properties. And that speculative demand, and this is the second point about real estate, pushes up the prices of real estate and flats and makes them out of reach of the first-time buyers and, and makes them out of reach of the common man. All of this cash economy doesn't go into the banks. And because it doesn't go into the banks, and for example, the last three days, uh, the banks have gathered more than three and a half lakh crore extra deposits. Because if it went to the banks and they had more deposits, they would lower the rate of the deposit and then lower the rate of interest on their loans. And that would encourage investment. So rather than encourage you know, luxurious and ostentatious consumption, which is so wasteful, if you attack the black economy and if it ceases to exist, then that would, that would benefit investment and encourage savings. And, and, and just, I, I have to point this out, that that marks the distinction between East Asian economies, like Japan, Korea, China, and Taiwan, and the Latin American economies. Both are capitalist economies. In one, they save 50% and they invest and they've grown and they've, their countries, they've taken their countries so far with reasonable levels of equity. In the other, there's, there's so much corruption, poverty, inequity, and they've not been able to break out of the middle income trap. So with the black economy in place, India could never hope to become a real economic uh, power and give the people its due. Thanks for that, sir. You already answered my next question, which was about how much money has been deposited in banks so far, but how much uh, a, a fiscal deficit is expected to be impacted by this demonetization move? Any estimates? It's anybody guess at this moment because we don't know the final figures. But I'm, I'm sure that, uh, uh, let us put it like this, that at least a fifth of the outstanding public debt of this country uh, could, be, uh, could be liquidated. I, I'm saying this simply because uh, you know, our public debt is 66% of the GDP. And if we get about 12% of the GDP you know, in extra cash, because I, remember, if, if, for example, the black economy is 40%, if we can get all of that, then 40% of that 66% when nearly 80% of the public debt would be wiped out. But let, I'm just saying that not all, but half or a third of that, you know, you know, black economy would be, you know, collected or, you know, brought in. So that could benefit, that, that would be able to liquidate at least the fifth. And so, you know, if that happens, you know, then the interest costs for the government, which account for as much as, I think, 40% of total revenue expenditure to the government would become much less. Right. And, so, and therefore, the fiscal deficit would be impacted very positively and the government would have much greater fiscal space to build the infrastructure and to build the public education and public health system, which it is at the moment not able to do. Thank you, sir. This is one side of the coin. Uh, 
the other side of the coin is about the massive implementation issues the country is facing, which is always the case, even if the money is there. And these implementation issues are particularly catastrophic for those who are living on the thin line between crisis and stability. Given that the informal sector in India accounts for about 45% of its GDP, nearly 80% of employment, and is largely cash dependent, with little financial inclusion in the banking system, it has been argued that the so-called short-term inconvenience can outweigh the long-term benefits of the move. It is likely to push these people into a fresh cycle of debt and poverty and prove to be costly in terms of long-term growth and equity. What is your take on this? These are some very important questions that you raised. And actually, it is often said that, you know, the, you know, the present can, you know, really in some sense discount the future completely because if you don't take care of the today, tomorrow is going to be bad anyway. So, but let me start from the beginning, which is one on the massive implementation issue. It's, it's clearly not worked. It's clearly, I mean, and I, I lay the blame uh, completely and fully on the doorstep of our bureaucracy. The Prime Minister and the, and the Finance Minister are not expected to take care of the implementation issues. They are expected to take the big decisions. They are expected to take the political courage which requires that addition and also bring the political support that they need behind them. And if you've seen the Prime Minister has gone out of his way to go and address people and wherever he's gone, you know, he's found massive support. And the fact that he's touched on the right chord at this time is that while people, even people standing in the queues are saying, yes, we are not, not all, because some of them are frustrated, but a large number of them are saying, yes, we are, we are going through a pain, but we support the Prime Minister because it's the first time ever, first time ever in this country that those who are not honest, the dishonest, are being put at, at trouble and the honest are rejoicing for that reason. It's, it's touched a deep chord across the country. The, the rest job of the implementation was that of the bureaucracy. You know, whether it was the RBI or the, or the public sector banks or, you know, in our, in our system, the, you know, the North Block related bureaucracy. He, they should have anticipated the scale of this operation. They should have had the, the, the understanding that they should have had the, uh, the, the, you know, the knowledge that ATMs will be required to function so that they could have had a crash program of all the software required to identify the new nodes just ready and then be installed in overnight almost. Now it's been a week, but still not. How come? So the, the question is that the, 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 the action of the indelible ink being taken yesterday, that decision, should have been there in the first place so that people were not making repeated trips. You know, there could have been ways and means by putting people without uniforms in the queues to find out who were there trying to change money for those who are holding the black money. All of that has been lacking. And I think, therefore, uh, the bureaucracy has to rise to the challenge. And it should not let this massive, uh, you know, measure, this, and hugely supported by the people of this country, fail. And to that extent, they are responsible for the political opposition now taking, you know, taking shape only on purely implementational issues. And that's a pity. That's a real pity because I hope the micro will not, you know, make the macro fail. What about uh, the second part yeah, of on my the, question? On, on the small traders, 
you know, in the first place, they should not have been there. No, I'm you, talking about the informal economy. Yeah, that's it. The small traders in the informal economy, etc. You know, it's true what you say. And these are the people who are below the radar, the income tax radar. Uh, this is why this is given as one of the reasons uh, that one of the reasons that is given is that nobody wants to rise to the income tax level. They want to keep lower, etc. And also they don't want to employ too many workers, you know, beyond 20. Otherwise they get into all sorts of these license, these inspectors and so on. You know, but all that is a, all that is a deformity of the system. Let me put it strongly. You know, it has prevented India from becoming an industrial power. Because our such a large percentage of our work is done in this small, micro, small and medium enterprises. Because there the productivity levels are a fraction of those in the larger in, you know, industry. Why am I saying all of that is that their remaining in the cash economy is not desirable. They should come out of there. There will be some transition problem. There will be some teething problems. But again, if the bureaucracy is sensitive to those problems, and can give them a helping hand rather than try and make another extra buck out of it, then these problems can be overcome. These are implementational problems. And, and finally, this poverty, this debt thing, I'm not sure at all. You know, because what you need is just day-to-day, -day, uh, you know, some people, the traders, need the what are, what are called the, you know, the trade financing on a daily basis. The, 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 current, the amount, if they have that money in their account, then they would have access to it, you know. And if they have it only in cash, then I'm afraid they will have to shift to the credit card and the credit system to get this going. Yes, but in the interim, it could cause firm failure and turn this temporary shock into a long-term recession. Is that even a possibility? Notwithstanding the cash that might be flushed into the market eventually. What it will cause is a slowdown of the economy, as it has done already. If you go to the malls and if you go to the markets, I was in GK1 yesterday, the activity is much less than what it was. And there are two reasons for it. One is the, the economy, the, the steroids that was given to the economy in terms of the black money are now gone. And the other thing is that there is less cash. My own understanding is that within these next 30 days, this will stabilize and this will come back to normal, but at a lower level because consumption demand will get affected. And the, for example, the jewelry demand, you know, which is only supplied by cash. With all your jewellers coming to the house, not no questions asked, give you the jewellery, take the cash, all that will get affected. But as my, of all things, I'm, uh, I'm not embarrassed, but yesterday my barber told me, and Arif is his name, Arif Ahmed, he said, sir, to take a leap, you have to sometimes take a few steps backwards. And I, think, and I think that's the analogy which really fits in this situation. I'm just going to probe this a little further for the benefit of our audience. What about the... Uh, the daily wage workers within the informal labor sector, you know, the, the economy that. slows down, economic activity slows down, especially the real estate sector slows down. Of course, the daily work merger will suffer loss of employment. There is no doubt about that. But luckily, at the moment, there is a social security network for them, which is the Manrega. And all of these people who all have connections with their rural homes could find at least that minimum level of support. So this is not going to lead to it's not going to lead to deprivation. It's not going to result in you know sort of you know there are there are talks about Lalu Yadav has said things like that the farmer is dying and you know and, and so on. Nobody is dying. Nobody will die. And I'm sure uh, that uh, that you know the, the, the social security net provided by the government 
linked to the Aadhaar, which now they have worked better, will will take care of it. And also the government's own you know own own attempt at linking you know the benefits directly to the bank accounts will also work here. So I am sure that in this country you will not get the sort of apocalyptic sort of you know outcomes that the that the people who are opposing this vested interests who are opposing the scheme are are banding about. So talking of vested interests, it brings me to the big 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 fish in the in in the sea. So you know it's argued that what about the Birlas and the Ambani's? This move does it effectively address corruption or tax evasion, which are among the key causes of black money creation? And those who are flush with black money do not necessarily stock it in cash, but it is invested through an ever-widening route of transactions. So, and and also, what about the black money abroad? So, how will these people? So, let's first rule out the black money abroad. That's a different kettle of fish. Right. It has been converted into foreign exchange, hmm. and those are different ways of getting hold of it. Let's drop that. The talking about the domestic economy, let's distinguish between what we call the stock and the flow. The stock of black money, and then the daily flow which is generated on a daily basis through various activities that we perform, or, or you know, or, or 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 we illegally perform. This scheme is going to take care of the stock to whatever extent it will. This you know, and I'm saying to whatever extent because there is bound to be unfortunately some leakages. You know, all these guys giving 2.5 lakhs to you know hundreds of people to get you know get them into deposits. And you know, you, I don't know if you noticed, but one of the builders was caught because he had given 2.5 lakh to all the labourers on his site and told them to deposit them in his jandan in their jandan accounts. And then he was he was raided and caught, and now he's he's behind jail. So this is being repeated all over the country in different ways by political leaders, by businessmen, by traders, by leading industrialists. I dare say also because. It is said that people have warehouses of black money, wow. warehouses of cash. So this notion that people are not holding cash, you know, anymore, is not right. They are holding cash because a large part of the transactions in this country at the moment, on a daily basis, is financed by cash. Sixty percent of the jewelry business is in cash. So all the jewelers, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Hold a lot of cash in their in their house, and so do the builders, for example, and so do traders. So the stock will be taken care of. Where this, in some sense, what is now called the surgical strike, you know, 30, 40, 50, 80 percent, depending on the efficiency of the collection, and this will continue to get affected as now, as the prime minister has said, they move into taking care of the Benami properties, you know, and the, and ill-gotten Ill- 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 assets, etc. The flow will have to be controlled by. A much bigger effort of direct tax reforms, you know, and in that direct tax, one, but, but the other part of it, which is the black money generated by production, you know, for example, you know, 30% of liquor in this country could have been produced without paying the excise duty, will hopefully be taken care of by the GST, and that's a big move forward anyway. Then second one is the direct tax thing. Only 30 million people pay taxation in our. 35 million people pay income tax in our economy. Even if you include, even if you say that one person per household pays income tax, you know the total number of households in this country is 250 million. How come the rest don't pay tax? Even if 120 million are in agriculture sector, it still leaves 130 million who should have been paying taxes. The direct tax has to be system has to be 
now reform so that they get the bigger base and this will happen so this is my almost last section on 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 the on the future of this so what are the next steps because is is this move future proof because it's been argued no. that how do you ensure there won't be holding of 2000 rupee notes in the future for instance is it a good idea so what is the systemic approach how do we move to a cashless economy when countries like kenya and sweden can do it because that's where this is going so what are your thoughts on the on the on the steps yeah, forward you, you need to have a couple more out of the box you know things you know for this to move to a cashless economy but the first step has i think already been taken which is the which is now that 630 million bank accounts are now operational in this country of which if you remember 270 million were opened after august 2014 in the janthan janthan scheme the second step has also been taken about by universalizing the aadhaar system so that now everybody has to be identified the third step which has been taken and nandan nilikani is a great you know innovator on that is the scheme called upi which will give us each one of us an app on our phone by pressing that you know you will be able to transfer money to another account within within minutes without going anywhere and without even going to the net so those are steps being taken the, the next out of the box step that is to be taken is perhaps and is not been tried anywhere else in the world so far is to just abolish direct taxation is to just abolish direct taxation income taxation and move to a system of taxation which is just simply pooled full proof which is like a bank transaction tax and it can be a very small amount even a 0.1 or 0.2% which means 0.2 means 2 paise for 100 rupees right that's the that's the smallness of that tax in every day in the bank i think 8 lakh crore gets transferred so you can imagine the collection that you can generate in one day by that taxation if you move, if you shift towards that and you also demonetize higher currency notes now let me just back up and say that india the large currency notes that we have in india is much higher in ratio to our per capita income than anywhere in the world one example usa the highest denomination is 100 dollars for a per capita income of 40000 dollars right so 1 upon 40000 100 upon 40000 Our highest is now going to become two thousand for per capita income of about I think a lakh of rupees. So much bigger dinner. We don't need that. The poor people don't work in two thousand. And I Absolutely. just went to my own village. Absolutely. The rural economy is still not dealing in five hundred and thousand rupee notes. They are happy with the hundreds, right? Now, so this is why I think you need that step. And I'm going to be I'm going to be advocated. Uh, for the demonetization for a further demonetization and moving to the lower denomination currency in the future thank you very much for this sir this was a great podcast thank you so much thank you so much sir and all the best if you enjoyed this episode of thought space and want to learn more about the research cpr does across various topics please subscribe to our mailing list and social media channels through our website www.cprindia.org You can also follow us on Twitter at CPR_India.